This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. When I say the word architect, what comes to mind? Black clothing? Heavy room glasses? There's a disconnect between the public's perception of architects and our reality. Prepare yourself as we discuss the realities and the absurdities people associate with being an architect. Today's episode is generously sponsored by Sherwin-Williams. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we are talking about architectural stereotypes. Are you excited about this, Andrew? Oh, yeah. I could be more excited for this. <laughs> and the reason why, you let's could just be, let's tell everybody, because we recorded this episode. Let's like, be honest, this is the second time we've done yes, it. Yes. Yeah. We recorded this episode. And can I tell you, it was magical. I mean, I thought this is our best one. <laughs> and we did it like a month ago, only to find out that the audio was total garbage. And we got to do it again. Not all of the audio, just a part of the audio. <laughs> just my audio. Andrew sounded like Barry White. That's His right, was flawless. Yeah. Oh, well. Yes. And there I sounded like... Like you were in the bottom of a tin can with a fan blowing on it. It was... Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> I didn't tell you that I recently got a decommissioned submarine and I set up my recording <laughs> studio in it. No, I didn't see that part. I must have missed it. Yeah, I know. I haven't really put it on Instagram yet, but... No, I think that would be Instagram worthy. You know, it'd be pretty cool. It would be. Even though nowadays, based on how much TV I watch, you know, like at one in the morning, because I've missed my window to go to sleep. And so I'm up for a while. Does that happen to you, by the way? Oh yeah. All the time. Every Does day. it? Like I go, like I could fall asleep at eight o'clock at night, but then I'd wake up at four in the morning or three in the morning and I'd be done. Yeah. So I stay up and I'm like, oh, I could go to sleep right now. And the next thing you know, I've missed my window and I've got like, like, let's go build a fence. Like yeah. I have all this energy and sometimes it's a problem. Mine sort of works in three hour increments. Like if I miss it, I'm up for three more hours. It's at midnight and I miss it. Guess what? I'm not going to be tired again until like three. Like it just, that's it. It's I know. It's no good. So I'm watching a lot of whatever's on TV. Because <laughs> my hope is that I start it and I, it makes me go to sleep. So I'm not looking for a story. I'm mm -hmm. looking for convenience. Mm -hmm. And I've come to the conclusion that most movies nowadays, if you're on a submarine... Something terrible is going to happen. There are no, like, there's monsters. There's no happy or submarine stories. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no happy submarine stories. I think Hollywood ought to take care of that. There ought to be like a, a musical based underwater in a submarine. In a yellow submarine, I think, right? Yeah. I guess there already was one. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been <laughs> Re-release. So we're re-recording this episode. And to try to keep it fresh, the one thing that I'm hoping for since we recorded it so long ago, I actually don't remember any of my answers. So that's the positive. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, look, we're looking for silver linings here. What we're going to do is we're going to identify a stereotype, which is just a commonly held belief. And then we're going to decide whether that's true, whether the stereotype is based in reality, or is it just garbage and somehow it just became urban myth. All right. Yeah, exactly. We're going to kind of true and false these things. Yeah, let's true and false it up. So here we go. We're going to start with the biggest one first. The stereotype is that architects are rich. Is this true or false? I'm going to tell you. And I know that we have. Go ahead. No, no. no. You were going to say we have differing opinions about it. Yes, we do. Right? Yeah. 
I got documentation to support my correct position. <laughs> I know that you do. I know that you do. And you make a good argument. I must admit, you make a good argument. But I think the core of this is there's two parts of it, right? That all architects are rich and what actually defines being rich. So those are the two variables, I think, in there that push this one way or yeah. the other. Okay. So if we just say that architects, and I'm going to say not all, just that architects in general, that architects are rich. You could say, well, that's all. Architects, that's all. Yeah, that's just true. Yeah. I would say that the stereotype that we're all rich, it's false because we're not all rich. But we're doing okay. How about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Middle ground. We're all dealing with yes. middle ground. Well, the public perception is that they think architects are just like slaying it. Yeah. You know, and it's really interesting out of all the stereotypes that we have on today's list, this one seems to be the biggest hot potato of them all because architects in general, if you ask an architect if they're rich, their knee jerk would be no. No. Don't. I mean, I'm surprised I'm not in a refrigerator <laughs> box under the bridge. Yeah. I'm desolate. Yes. I make pennies on yeah, the dollar. And there's like anger associated with the amount of income that they make. And I would agree. You know, in some cases, it's probably justified. I'm sure there are people out there that should be making more money than they're currently making. However, when we look at what the, the median salary of 2019, because that's what we've got. Yeah, I know. Hit me with some facts here. Hit me with some Here's some facts. data for you. 2019 median salary was $80,750 per year or $38.82 per hour. That is not an amazing salary, but that puts you in the top quarter of wage earners almost. So based on an $80,000 median salary, which means half make more and half make less. That's approximately more than about 65% of all individual wage earners in the U.S. So not bad, right? Yeah, a little above average. A little, a little above, above 50%. The lowest 10% of that earned less than $48,700, and the highest earned more than $137,000. So let's focus at that top 10% number for a moment. $137,000 puts you in some fairly rare errors since only 18% of all wage earners exceed that number. So now you're, you're in the top 82nd and above percentile. If you're in the top 10%. If you're in the top 10%. So let's go yes. one step further. The top 5% of households, in the top 5% of households, three quarters of whom had two income earners. They had incomes of $166,200. So using the median average, just to make sure it's clear, the top 5% of households, like wage earning households, had two income earners. 75% had two income earners. So it's like me and my wife. We're a family with yes, two, like two people for a household. And if you exceed $166,000, you're in the top 5% of households in the country. Top five. At $166,000 At $166,000. So a dual income household of architects would be 161,000. So almost in the top 5% of all wage earning households. Yeah. You might be in the top 7% or something. If you had, 
If you had the audacity to marry another architect. Yes, which happens shockingly more often than anybody has right to think could be a possibility. But Yeah, or maybe that should, but that's beside the point. Yes. So the evidence would suggest that we're not doing bad. The median at 80,000, that's not chump change. That's better than a lot of different vocations that are worthy and noble that are out there. True. The question that comes to me for that is at what point in your career is that it's at 80,000 average if it's with 40 years of experience or it's probably not with five years of experience. And so I think that's a, yeah. that's a variable to those numbers. Yes, that is an excellent point and one that there is not any, well, if there is data, you have to dig down pretty deep. And let's be honest, this is a podcast. I'm not going down that deep. It is not a podcast on statistics. Yeah, that's right. But that same set of criteria exists for any job. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your job is. The longer you've been doing it, the assumption is the more money you'll make. I mean, that's not true for teachers. You can teach for a long time and you kind of hit your max fairly towards the front end. All right. It doesn't just keep getting better and better and better. So for a stereotype that we're rich, it's not really accurate because rich in my mind makes it sound like you are without financial hurdles, right? Like whatever you want to do, I'm going to say within reason, I want to buy my own 747. That's not within reason. Yeah. That's a different kind of, that's not rich. That's absurd. Yeah. That's that's a whole different thing. That's right. So, but if we say rich means you live in a house, you take vacations, you have cars that you can afford to drive, you buy new clothes when you need them, you know, I mean, how do you define rich? What is rich defined by? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the bigger question. And since we've talked about this once already before, you know, I thought the perception may be that we're Rolex wearing, Lamborghini driving, chauffeur having rich. I don't think that's true, but. I think to me, if I was going to define rich would be that I don't really have to ever balance my bank account. Like I don't ever have to worry about what's in my bank account. To me, that would be rich. I do what I want to do and it doesn't really bother me. I'm not worried about, oh, is this going to work? I'm just, all right, I'm going to go buy a car. I go buy a car. Wow. That's rich. That's big time right there. I don't know. I'm just saying that you don't have to keep an eye on it. To me, that would be rich. Yeah. There's a difference to me between wealthy and rich too. I would say that we are can be wealthy people, but I don't know that I've ever classified as quote unquote rich. Yeah. Because to me, that just, that puts us in a different bracket. In the gray Poupon bracket. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of those things that I think kind of sings for a lot of architects, partly because there's this desire to compare ourselves with people who put in the same amount of sweat equity to get to where we're at, to do what we do. And compared to those folks, the perception is, well, they make more money. And there's also some data to support that that's not really true either. You know, like lawyers get... Like doctors and lawyers and those kind of things. There's a ton of doctors that make not a lot of money because they've decided to take a path in life where they want to, you know, doctors without borders sorts of doctors, where the work is the motivation more than the paycheck. Sure. Not saying that it can't be both, but for the ease of our conversation today. Yeah. And I want to say the last time I looked it up, the median salary for an attorney was only like $12,000 more than the median salary for an architect. And it's because there's a lot of public civil servants out there that have law degrees that are working in Des Moines, Iowa, in the district attorney's office, and they're not getting rich doing that job. So if you wanted to compare it to doctors, I would think you could go there out of the amount of money sort of a general practitioner makes versus 
a neurosurgeon, those are not going to be the same. Yeah. When you start to average these things out again, maybe it's back to the top 10%, which is what people think of maybe, and maybe that's what it amounts to is that we do the same thing to doctors and lawyers that people do to us and think that everybody earns that top 10% level of income when that's really not the case. Yeah. So. Yeah. Part of my, what feed that, and we have this as a question later about, you know, architects living in houses they design. It's one of the questions we're stereotypes we're going to get into. I would imagine there's a lot more doctors living in architect designed homes than there are architects, architects. living in architect designed homes. <laughs> I would bet all my money on that to be quite honest. Right? Uh, yeah. Without yeah. a doubt. Okay. So what we're going to say is that, you know, we can't do like a maybe we need to step up to the bar on this. So is the stereotype that architects are rich true or is it false? I'm going to say that it is false. Okay. I was going to say, I think it's false. So we're not all rich. No. Asterisk. We're doing okay. <laughs> exactly. Double asterisk. Yes. We're not bad. We could be wealthy. Yeah. We could be doing better. Come on. <laughs> but who couldn't? But who could? Okay. That's right. So let's go to the next stereotype. The stereotype is that architects are fashionable and that they wear a lot of black, which is really two questions. And I almost think it should be different. Like the stereotype is that architects are fashionable. Is this true or false? I'm going to say that's false. <laughs> architects are not fashionable. As, and as a general rule, I would probably agree. And the whole like, do they wear a lot of black? I would say, generally speaking, not a lot no, of black. I wouldn't say either. I think yeah. some, again, it's that percentage 10% of the architects are wearing 90% of the black. <laughs> exactly. And 10% <laughs> of them are fashionable and the other 90% are horrible. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. You know, it's funny. I used to kind of think that architects were fashionable because, you know, we're trying to look cool and we think about what kind of shoes we're wearing and check out my belt, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I used to say this to my wife and she goes, architects are, they're like the worst. She goes, you guys have like a uniform and that's all you do. That's not fashionable. <laughs> that's like a, and then she makes fun, not in a mean spirited way. At least I don't think it's mean-spirited. If you're the target of some of her jokes, maybe you think it's mean-spirited, but mm. she thinks the people that like go out of their way to wear like wooden bow ties and stuff like that, she goes, that's not fashionable. Like that's not a fashion statement. It's just quirky. Well, quirky is not the word she used. <laughs> <laughs> There's this whole, you're trying a bit too hard. If you're the suspenders guy, you're the bow tie guy, or you're the round tortoiseshell, where's Waldo guy, or we both know that. Michael, my last partner, he wore his watch around his sleeve as opposed to around his arm, right? So, and everybody knew it. It was a thing. Yeah. Like it was on the outside of his shirt. Yeah. So he would like put on his shirt and then when he put his watch on, he would actually buckle it. I don't know a better word for it. He would buckle it around the sleeve yeah. rather than pull the sleeve up, buckled around the flesh of his arm and then pull the sleeve back down on top of it. Yeah. I've never known an, another human being to do that. And a lot of people who don't really know him and they're kind of like trying to go, who's that guy again? It's not the fact that he's 6'8 that stands out. It's the yeah. fact that he has a watch wrapped around his shirt. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I go, yeah. It's not like, it's the really tall guy. It's like, no, it's the guy with the wristwatch. With the right? watch. So I'm going to go out and say, that's not fashion. That's not a fashion decision. The bow ties is not a fashion decision. Wearing black it's not a fashion decision. You wear a lot of black. Yeah, I do. But that's because I'm fashionable. <laughs> <laughs> You're something that starts with an F, that's for uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, there's a couple of those that it could be. 
Yeah. Well, you know, Three let's letter just say or that four letter words. Yes. Well, it's slimming. <laughs> we'll just say that black can be slimming. I wear, I wear black, not a ton of it, but I do like it. And part of the reason I like it is because I have white hair. And so I think it looks good. Yeah. Some of the people I know that wear a lot of black, they kind of do it almost in a sense of like your wife was getting at is it. like, it's a uniform. They do it because it's easy. So they don't have to worry about matching things or doing what they just, I'm going to put on black pants and a black shirt and then I don't have to worry about it. It's almost that kind of uniform. Yeah. You know what? And if you're that person, you need to stop it. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because rarely do black pants match black shirts. It's like two different types of black. Maybe. Yeah. If you pay attention to it, though, you can make it happen. You can. Because I am I try to be very cognizant of different levels of black. Yeah. But you know what gets me is when your shirt black is blacker than your pants black. Then you're, you know, you're top heavy. It's not right. Your pants have always got to be the blackest, the darkest black. Well, it needs to not really, I'm more of a go with a charcoal gray on the pants and then wear a black top. I got you. There's a guy that I know. I can't tell you much. I can't stand this. I doubt he listens, but I've been burned before. He'll wear black pants, black shirt, black jacket, and red tie. I think it's the worst look possible. I mean, it's (laughs) terrible. And the blacks never are right. And I look at it and I go, God, just a little bit of effort. You know, could you just put in a little bit of effort on this? I'm doing air quotes on this uniform that you're wearing. That's funny. It drives me a little bonkers. It sounds okay to me, all that, as long as all the blacks are consistent. I have a picture of you wearing that exact uniform. You probably do. But I wear it a lot. Only one. Now, I don't see it on you that much. You have a little bit of variety with your black because you don't get dressed up like that too much. You got to say, I don't wear ties that often. But if I do go to where I'm going to wear a tie, I'm okay with black, black and black and red. I try to make sure it gets all the same, though. My suit, I could wear a suit that's way. That's a black suit with a black shirt, but it's all from the same material. So it's all exactly the same black. Like there's no variation in it. And I'm going to say that very few people who are black on black on black on black ever, they just don't think about it. I don't know. Maybe they do. And maybe I'm just a jerk. I mean, I am a jerk, but. Well, yeah. It's specific regards to this. I just go, it's a bad look. It's a bad look, people. Yeah. Well, see, I mean, I'll, so. I'll get rid of stuff. First off. I only dry clean black. I don't ever wash it. I don't ever launder it because it fades. Right. And so once it starts to fade, well, guess what? It's gone. It's out of rotation. I get something else. A new black. A new blacker black. That's mm. blacker than the blackest black of black. <laughs> That'd be oh. the Venta black. I think that's what it is. Although there's one the worse Venta than that. The Venta black now, of clothes. I think there's one that's even further than that now, right? There's a pink. Is it what? No, in there, there's a pink. Didn't those guys get in a war? In the, yeah, in the, yeah. You're right. The guy that came up with Venta Black wouldn't let anybody use it unless you paid him. So yeah. somebody else came up with like a another black another and they made black. it free to everybody except that guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he goes, anybody can have this for free except, except that you. guy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, Rick, you can't give it to him either. Yeah. That's hilarious. They'll give you the formula, but you have to like sign this thing that says you can't. Yeah. Cause I can't yeah. remember. It's the artist name that said, you know, I'm, I'm making the blackest black. And now they've made one again, that's even worse than that. Uh, which is kind of wild when you start to look at it. I've seen some images and it's weird. Like it's so devoid of of color. There's only a couple architects that I think of that I go, they're stylish. The one that really comes to mind is Zaha Hadid in her day. Mm. She put it out there with her clothes. Yeah. There was no chance of her walking onto an elevator and seeing somebody else with the same thing on. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. And and I don't think she, I don't think she ever wore Dockers, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> or any of that yeah, kind of stuff. I, I'm doubting that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of Zaha Hadid yeah, and Dockers. Like, the image that just popped <laughs> in my head of that is like, oh my gosh, money. Oh, if, that if would that be was ever possible. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. That would be so hilarious. <laughs> but anyway, I, what, it's, I can't get it out. I can't stop thinking about know, her and Dockers right? pants. I know. I would say the number of people in my office of 100 that, you know, and I should be fair. Women are way better at this than men are. Yeah. I know. I just realized just how sexist I was. Cause when I was thinking about this, I wasn't thinking about women. I was like, men are terrible. Men are dockers and belts. Yeah. And it seems that way, but women. I think it's fairly universal, honestly. But I think I would say there's a larger percentage of fashionable women architects than there is men architects, but it's not like every woman architect is fashionable. No, that's true. And I don't actually think that being an architect really has all that much to do with them being fashionable. Yeah, probably I think that's not, more. Right, yeah, it's, it's women pay more attention to that stuff. <laughs> Maybe so. it sounds really sexist. I don't mean and it that way. I just think it's a like, reality. I think I'm gonna get myself in trouble. Come on, are. people, don't be coming for me on this one. I'm not trying to be a jerk or anything. Yeah, I know. Doesn't mean I'm not. <laughs> okay, so let's move but on. Not about this. Not about this <laughs> thing. So I agree, though. I think it's a. It's no architects aren't fashionable. The asterisk on this would be that many of them think they are even yes. though they're not. Yes, right? that is true. <laughs> yes, there's a disproportionate numbers that think they are versus actually are. Yes, yes. They're not the same thing. For sure. I honestly don't know. I don't think I'm a bad dresser, but I, I wouldn't ever call myself fashionable. I only know a couple that I would go, that person pays enough attention to where I would consider them to be a fashionable individual. So, yeah. But it does seem like there's a disproportionate number of architects who are fashionable to non-fashionable. Like maybe that's one of the secret ingredients to being a star architect. Maybe. Is, Although, I mean, I think some of them are not fashionable at all, right? I mean. Is it a chicken or egg thing though? Do you think they become fashionable when they become star architects? Because now they got some of the, some of the Skrilla to afford. I don't know. To or buy something get a other personal than... stylist or something? Because I mean, you know, if you think about it, let's say who's, I don't know. I mean, Frank Gehry, he's not stylist. I mean, he's a, a mega idea, right? And if we go back further, Frank Lloyd Wright with his cape. Come on, dude, that, that guy had some style, I guess. But then I saw this thing the other day where David Ajay, right. And I saw some pictures of him and I was like, he's looking pretty stylish, but I don't know. Like, yeah, he's a stylish guy. If before that was he, I can't recall. I need to like look him up 20 yeah, years but, ago you know, and see what it was like. I think he's got that whole London architect thing going. Yeah. Right. I bet your generic London architect is more stylish than your generic Dallas, American, Texas architect. Yeah. Probably American yeah. architect, period. Pro probably. And probably just, maybe even just your European architect. We're making everybody except for David Ajay and Europeans mad <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah. And fans of Zaha Hadid who now are saying, great, now I've got a picture, picture of, of her, her in Docker pants Dockers in my mind. In khakis. <laughs> so false. So we're going to say false. False and true with an asterisk. If you're Zaha Hadid. <laughs> and David and Jay. Other, everyone else? No. <laughs> More from Life of an Architect in just a moment. Andrew and I are sitting down with Kara Baldev, Architectural Sales Manager of Metal Coatings, North America at Sherwin-Williams. Hi, Kara. How are you? Thanks for joining the show today. Great. Excited to be here talking to you both today. Sounds good. We're happy to have you back on the show. I want to start off with the fact that Sherwin-Williams has a great reputation of working with architects on selecting the right coding and color. 
And I'd like to take advantage of having you on the show today so that we can talk a bit about Sherwin-Williams sustainable product offering, Floripon Pure, which is a redless compliant coating used for LEED and the Living Building Challenge redless programs. Can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah. Floripon is our flagship product for coil and extrusion. And our Floripon Pure product within that category is actually formulated without the use of PFOA, hexavalent chromium, lead, and phthalates. So in the spirit of transparency, Floripon Pure is formulated for compliance to living building challenges red list. We've received declare labels for our coil and extrusion coatings, and we've also published a health product declaration on this product as it pertains to the building product disclosure and optimization that uh, materials ingredient credit under LEED version four. So these coatings are formulated with both the environment and future generations in mind. Let's do this. Let's start at the beginning and just kick off for the people who might not be aware. What are coil and extrusion coatings? And can you explain how this division of Sherwin-Williams is different from the interior coatings? The biggest difference is that our group focuses only on factory applied, baked on liquid finishes for metal building products. We've been producing these factory applied finishes, such as our Floripon 70% PVDF for over 55 years. You may be familiar with Floripon as a part of Valspar. Mm -hmm. However, two years ago, we were purchased by Sherwin-Williams and our group is able to offer new capabilities to the ever growing Sherwin-Williams library of coatings. One more anecdote, these factory applied finishes are behind the scenes of some of your favorite metal panel and curtain wall manufacturers, such as Conier, Old Castle, Centria, Morin, Alpollock. You can work with them and us to coordinate all of these different building envelope components. Wow, that's great. A lot of places that you might not think it was. So what are some of the coding trends that you're starting to see right now in architecture? What's super fun about 2021 coming is the interior and exterior architectural worlds are colliding a bit more than usual. Not sure if you've seen recently the Sherwin-Williams paint color of the year is urbane bronze. And we've certainly been seeing a lot of that category in the building envelope design as well. Obviously, silver's always in vogue, but we're noticing a lot more warmer tones and natural metals such as brass, copper, core 10, and bronze. We recently launched the Floripon Metal Trends color card, and that expands in that inspiration in a lot of these categories. With your coating design for building envelope, you can explore different tones with adding sparkle, gloss, and texture to achieve a finish that's more uniform and has that 20-year finish warranty that you don't often get with a natural product. And of course, it's often more affordable than cladding an entire building in bronze or, or brass. For sure. What questions can an architect ask to make sure that they're specifying the right exterior coatings? The main thing that you want to coordinate What types of products are going to be incorporated with regards to factory applied metal coatings? And make sure you're starting that color design process early to make sure you can integrate all of those components to meet that design intent. 
What makes us unique is that with over 50,000 colors, we can create aesthetics and effects from all ends of the spectrum and apply it to multiple different building components from your favorite well-known manufacturers. We will help you take all the weathering, sustainability, environmental, and warranty issues into account. And of course, we're always available to help with any of your coding needs. Kara, I appreciate you coming on the show today to educate us on coil coatings and just the role that Sherwin's will play in helping us do our jobs. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. To learn more about the products and services offered by Sherwin-Williams, as well as requesting your own architectural metal color card, please visit coil.sherwin.com forward slash architects life. Thanks again, Kara. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks a lot. Let's go to the next one. The stereotype is that architects are good at sketching. I'm going to say that this is also false. False. These are all false. Like we got to hit a true. Them all. We got to get a true one here pretty soon. I would say, you know, again, this comes to a proportion or a cross cut of the profession versus other cross cuts of the other professions. I think architects are generally better sketchers than other people who aren't in creative industries. Mm -hmm. Like my wife, for example, sure. if I took her graduating class, her master's math mathematicians gang, i bet they can't sketch very well compared to my graduating class of architects yeah but when you just generically think oh can you take a pen or a pencil and put it to paper and draw a picture of something that looks like it's supposed to look that number is dwindling at a fairly rapid pace oh i would agree for sure fewer and fewer people actually are any good at it anymore so i even question whether or not that's even a stereotype on the list. I go, is that a stereotype? Do most people think architects are good at sketching? Um, I think there's that stereotype that, and maybe it's not good at sketching, but that you have to be able to draw to be an architect. There's this connection between something like that. Yeah. In a way, I guess it's stereotypical. Yeah, that's a good point. Right, so. Yes. Yeah, because we know we get a lot of people who think, hey, I can't draw and I want to be an architect. Am I doomed? Yeah. You know, and then you say, no. No. While it's helpful, it's not a requirement. But in this case, the stereotype is that architects are good at sketching. And so I'm going to say that maybe I should change my opinion, because if we are just talking about architects as a general, as opposed to doctors or lawyers or teachers or, I don't know, name 10 other professions, would we say architects are better sketchers than that demographic of people? And I would tend to say that, yeah, chances are we're better than those other people. So maybe as a stereotype, it's not false. It would be true. But I still look at it and go, well, we're not that great. We're not like artists. If you said the stereotype is that artists are good at sketching, <laughs> you go, well, yeah, they are probably are good at sketching. That's Better than architects, right? Yeah. So maybe I'm going to change my answer. Okay. I'm going to change my answer to say that the stereotype is true. We are good at sketching. That's what I'm going to say. Asterisk compared to other people. Oh, yeah. But I was about to say, I don't believe that, though. <laughs> I know. I think that as a comparison to the general public, yes. I don't think that I'm a very good sketcher, but I've had some clients that go, oh, you can, like, I'll start to sketch something upside down because I'm talking to someone. And they're like, oh, mm -hmm. my God, I can't believe you're doing that. And I'm like, you know, this is really not that great or impressive, but they're impressed by it. So I would say, yes, as a comparison to the general public or the general population that yes, we are good at sketching. Internally though, I think we would probably say no, because we have a preference for a really high level of sketching competency. I wish I could sketch better than I do. 
And there are people that I know that can sketch that I'm very jealous of the way that they can do it. Yes. I mean, you know, like our friend Cormac, that dude's a crazy sketcher. And he does some really interesting things that I could never, I wish I could do. I always want him to sketch something other than cabins, trees, rag monsters. Stick houses or whatever. Yeah. He, he, Cormac, you got that down, you yeah. know? And of course, that goes back to the entertain me with something else. Not that that's not entertaining. Yeah. Remember, he would draw like a Batman every now and then. And you're like, that's solid. He's solid. Yeah. But he doesn't put a lot of what he, he doesn't put what he's capable out there other than, okay, I'm going to draw some rocks and some trees in a cabin on stilts. And they're dope. They look great. Yeah. But he doesn't like go out in the urban sketcher kind of thing. Does he do the urban sketching thing? I don't think so. I don't know. If he does, he doesn't push it out. But I mean, I know I've spent some time with him where he's yeah. just sketching around, like where we're hanging out at the bar and stuff. And he can sketch other things. I've got a sketch he did of me that was pretty good. Was it that cartoon that you used for a while? Did yeah. he do that? Yeah. I didn't know that. So we're talking about our good buddy, Cormac Phelan, and he's over on the Arca Speak podcast, currently available on Gable Media. A little shout out to those guys. Let's go to the next stereotype. Architects work long hours is this true or false i think false but i think true okay all right let's cage match this one out let's do it so why do you think false okay so first what constitutes long hours i would say for a typical person i would assume that means over 40 45 hours a week yeah if you say that the standard work week is 40 hours a week with that in mind i would give us 10 percent, which puts you like 45 i think no I don't think that we work longer hours than that or that we don't have to. I would agree that some people do, but I also think that is a direct correlation to your, your level of experience. It seems like the longer you work, the more responsibility you have and therefore the more hours you work. Maybe, maybe I'm just in a low yeah. point. In the beginning, I think you work a lot of hours and then maybe it, as you get to a different level, you work a lot of hours. So maybe it's not a consistent, yes, I'm always working 80 hours a week. I tried to make sure that when my office was happening, it was 40, 45 hours. And that was it. Unless there was a deadline that we were really pressed on, we didn't work more than that. There was no point. We just get our work done. Yeah. I've maintained for a long time, and I even have a blog post that I wrote called Culture of Long Hours. And I got a comment of some guy just like really took issue with the fact that I said, architects, we work more than 40 hour a week. That is true. But the kind of rampant, urban myth abuse that you hear, the constant all-nighters, the I worked 18,000 hours last week. I go, it just doesn't really seem to happen. I mean, it's like a spirit animal. I hear about it, but I haven't ever met anybody in real life that I could question and say, why, how often, what caused you to work a 90-hour week? Yeah. I have questions, give me answers. Never met a human being capable of doing that in my life. And I've been at this for a while. So I've had almost 30 years of having the opportunity to bump into people at all the conventions I go to and all the people I've met through the website. Nobody has ever met that criteria, that urban legend, like, oh my God, I work a billion hours comes up. But this one guy left a message and he basically went on to say, I work six days a week, 90 plus hours, straight for the last X number of years, years. Reesh. And he goes, do you need me to post my timesheets here to prove it? And I was like, yeah, I want you to post your timesheet <laughs> and prove it because yeah. either you're 
intellectually challenged as to be in a position where that's so systemically how the system is set up and you're willing to accept that? Or there's other abuses that are happening that are forcing you to stay in this job. I go, that's just preposterous. That's just ridiculous. But I went back and I looked at my timesheet. And for the last six months, I averaged 47 hours of direct time per week. That's just like on my timesheet. That's not the same as when I arrive and I go to the break room and fix a cup of coffee and I ask Bill how his day's going and how's Project X coming along and oh, have you seen this product or just like talking architectures? Mm -hmm. So because I get at the office around 730 in the morning and I tend to leave at 630 at night. And that's typically when I was certainly going in the office every day. That was true five days a week. Wouldn't typically work weekends like on my job job kind of get my job done during the week, yeah. normally. So you kind of go, Bob, that's an 11-hour day. Even if you take an hour out for lunch, that's 50 hours. And I go, yeah, I do about 47 hours of direct time for the last six months. What that doesn't represent is all the kind of charity work I do that's architecture-related, how I donate my time to boards that are architecture-related, doing the podcast, which is hopefully architecture-related to a certain extent. Sometimes writing blog posts about foundation because these are pursuits, but they are architectural. It's not the same thing. I, it fulfills me in a vastly different way than smoking a brisket. That feels like a hobby. And yes, as much as I love writing blog posts <laughs> and recording podcasts, it feels like work. I'm not going to lie. It feels like work. If I count that in, I'm easily over 65, 70 hours a week. And that's for the last 11 years. Yeah, but I don't think you can count that. Yeah, I don't know that you can either. You can't, right? Because that's not typically, that extra time is atypical. Right, for most people. Probably, again, 90% of the people that work. At least. We keep talking about that 90-10 or whatever. Again, I think 50, a 10-hour day, five days a week is probably pretty good, pretty standard. Or a nine-hour day. I mean, like work, like a nine-hour work day. Right. But I also think there are people that do straight up eight hours. That's it. But. That idea of I'm working 80 hours a week all the time, like, no, <laughs> if you are, you should either find a new job yeah, or if you're doing that on your own, you should spend some money and hire somebody to help you out because that's just, I mean, that's unhealthy to maintain that level of, I guess, effort. You gotta, you can't do that. I don't know how you could maintain that as a human being. Yeah. You're certainly probably not doing your best work if you're averaging 90 hours a week for every week going on years, it's just, it's, it's nonsensical. Yeah. Well, especially to me, there's sort of this point of diminishing returns too. After probably maybe 60 hours, you're not doing any good work in that day. You're sort of spent. If I worked 16 hours a day, the last four or five hours are going to be very non-productive and kind of garbagey. I would have been better off just stopping and coming back and doing the same amount of work in two hours when I was refreshed. Yes, I agree with that. So we're going to say that the stereotype that we work long hours is false. Another F. That's another F. You know, just to kind of put a bow on it, I look at all my other white collar job friends. I don't really... Now, again, the optics on me are different because of all the obligations that I put upon myself that are somewhat related to my field of interest, my pursuits, my job. Yeah, but it's extracurricular. It's extracurricular. So like I said, the optics are on me that all I do is work. 
And the truth is, it kind of feels like that a lot of the times. Well, like my wife, she puts in 50 plus hour weeks all the time. Yeah. My sister, the one up in Seattle, she grinds it out. Everyone I know who has a job that doesn't involve a shovel kind of works a lot. Teachers work a lot. Everybody works a lot. And I don't think that we are singled out unfairly for working long hours. So again, the stereotype is that we work long hours. I'm going to say it's not really true. Yeah. I think our complaints about that probably stem back to that first question about yeah. there's a tie in there. Yes. That's a whole other. Yes. So what's the next? Golly. The stereotype is that architects are fueled by coffee. And then I put in there caffeine. True or false? I'm going to say this one's true. I know you think it's true. And I would probably agree again for a majority of the profession that they really love some coffee. Yeah. I mean, I know I like it more than you because you don't like it at all, but I am not like a 85 cups a day kind of guy. No, but you know, I've never met a group that talks about their stupid mushroom coffee or how they make it (laughs) in their special carafes and their French press and French presses and all that junk. Yeah. I mean, I know some people that talk about that, that do other things, but it's so disproportionate to at least the architects I know. That part of the reason I I want to drink coffee is because it seems like that's where it's at. (laughs) You know, there are people that we have a Starbucks and I'm not saying Starbucks is good coffee. I'm not saying that. Yeah. Don't beat me up for that. Yeah. I'm not beating. Yeah. Don't get me for that one. But I am saying that where my office is in the development, we have a nice little urban development where my office building is where you can walk to shops and restaurants and stuff like that. There's a Starbucks. And there is a fairly steady stream. I would bet that a high percentage of time I could go to Starbucks at any time of the day and I will bump into one of the hundred people that are in my office. <laughs> whenever I want to go, yeah, there's going to be somebody there. there. Yeah. There's going to be someone there. Yeah. And I have started drinking coffee, if you can call it that. Can I tell you what I drink? You ready for this? Yeah, sure. You, I'm going to get killed for this. <laughs> so... God, I'm already regretting this. Maybe you shouldn't, but go ahead. I know, I'm regretting it. I can cut it it out. It's fine. This is for the people. (laughs) (laughs) They can have fun at my expense. So I've started drinking coffee, kind of. I'll get in the office and I'll have a very small cup. It'll be like the equivalent of like 12 ounces or something like that. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's not small. In that, I will put two packets of sugar and six cups of cream. The little... (laughs) The little plastic oh, the cups little, that you... Okay, yeah. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Little, little of those. Little peel off and pour it in there, little things. Yes. The thimbles, essentially. Yes. Six thimbles of cream in it. Yeah. And so the color is barely more brown than white. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, a soft tan or something. Yeah. And so now this is new as of like two weeks ago. I'm down to five thimbles of cream. I was at mm. six. Now I'm going to five. Working it to the strength. Yeah, because eventually, you know what? I'm going to be a black coffee drinker and be cool. (laughs) Yeah, I can't stomach black coffee. I just, it's too much. It's funny because I like a lot of bitter beers and stuff, but straight black coffee, man, that's, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I do drink coffees probably daily, but it's a little... You drink the refrigerated kind of coffee. Cold coffees, little coffee shots, little espresso shots. And those have those have like milk and sugar in them pre-mixed, Yeah, right? a little bit. But my rule for like regular coffee is it's got to be below 50 degrees outside before I put hot coffee in my system. Yeah, I used to always say that that's why I didn't drink a lot of coffee. 
Like I never got into it because I was like, this is hot. At that time, I drank sodas. Yeah. And I go, I'd rather drink something with caffeine that was cold. Cold. Yeah. And so now I drink tea. I will enjoy a nice English breakfast tea Mm -hmm. at any point during the day. I like my tea strong. If I'm going to drink tea, no Earl Grey for this guy. It's got to be black tea and I like it strong. Yeah. And even then it's like a million times more mellow than the mellowest coffee. Yeah. Do you put like honey and stuff in it or just straight tea? A lot of times it's just straight tea. Uh Occasionally, depending on my mood, I might put a little cream sugar in it, but but that's only the mushroom tea that you do that with. <laughs> yeah. I could probably rattle off about 10 people that drink mushroom coffee. Really? Yeah. And you know what bothers me most that about gross. that? What's that? Not that they drink mushroom coffee. It's that, why do I know you drink mushroom coffee? <laughs> like, I don't need to know that. Right? Yeah. So that's the joke, right? If you go to a party, how do you know if someone's vegan? They'll tell yeah. you. They'll tell you. Yes. Exactly. And coffee people... There's no reason the fact that you're drinking mushroom coffee ever needs to come up, ever. Nobody needs to know that. Other than you want people to know that. Yes. If you're a mushroom coffee drinker, you're going to work that into the conversation. That sounds gross. The most expensive coffee is that whatever it is. Blue Mountain or something? No, no. So from Indonesia where the coffee actually comes from some like monkey thing that eats these beans and then- They poop them out. Craps them out. And then they take those beans and make them into coffee. And it's like the most expensive, best coffee that you're ever drink thing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm that's out. the gray poupon that. of coffee. Yeah. I don't want that. Yeah. I don't think I'd want that either. Digested coffee beans. I'm out. Maybe it's less bitter since they've already been through one digestive process. <laughs> I don't know. Now, maybe I'm interested. Maybe so, but I would assume <laughs> if it's normal coffee drinkers, they like it bitter. I don't so know. My, my guess is maybe it's more bitter. I don't know. I might be interested just to find out now. Now I'm into it. We can buy a little bag for a hundred bucks and have two cups of coffee. Monkey butt coffee. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to remember what it's called now. But. I'm sure that I could put it in my search browser and I would regret it, but I would get the answer. <laughs> you know? Well, if you put in monkey butt coffee, I would probably say, <laughs> I'm gonna get a, say I'm going to get a so. notification from IT is what's going to happen. <laughs> okay. So can we say that's true though? That that one's true? Yeah, I think we could probably say it's true. That's it. Kopi Luwak. I just found it. K-O-P-I-L-U-W-A-K. It's mm. made from beans plucked from the feces of a civets. Plucked. That's a gross word to use in that sentence. Isn't that gross? Yeah. It's like a monkey and a raccoon mixed, and you dig Ugh. through their poop and pull out the coffee. Plucked makes it sound like you're reaching into it with your two fingers and plucking <laughs> it. from. Not as opposed to yeah, right? we yeah. put it all in a giant vat and just hose it all off. Wash and, it all down. Yes. Yeah, and we're, no you know, way, yeah. pluck, you're reaching into it to extract it. Yeah. And okay. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> let's go to the next one. All right. We have a couple more on our list here. So the stereotype is that architects use shoulder bags like messenger bags. I would say that you use one. I do. Yours looks like a purse. It's not very big. <laughs> okay. It's like a, whatever a small messenger bag would be. Yes. That's what yours is. So small messenger bags, I think, are commonly known as purses. <laughs> and, okay. Um, That's fine. <laughs> you know, I had a shoulder bag I used for years. I liked it. I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. But it just, it got to be, I started having to haul around too much stuff, and I switched to a backpack. You and all of the other elementary school kids have. Yeah. 
No, see, because you don't get out of little podunk college town that you're in. Whatever. Every one of my wife's, like when she was doing consulting work, you know, and she's traveling like every week for something, mm -hmm. every big dollar consultant, when they travel a lot and they're hauling their laptop and they've got notebooks and pads and all that, like they're bringing like little mini offices with them everywhere. Mm -hmm. They used to have like briefcases. Now, every one of them wears a backpack. Every single one of them wears a backpack. Now, they're not architect. Okay. I'm just kind of yes. saying that using backpacks to tote around. Now, I bet you would be fairly hard pressed to buy a backpack that didn't have a spot in it specifically designed to carry your laptop. Uh, yeah, I would agree. It's not just grade school kids, right? Eh, I guess. Sure. But I will say that I know the stereotype exists because I know a couple people that still use them. And one person in particular uses them. He probably listens and he's going to know I'm talking about him. Like he really embraces all the stereotypes. If it's thought that this is what an architect should do, he does it. He embraces every architectural stereotype there is. And he uses a Trying to embody bag. all of the stereotypes is what you're saying. Yes. He's got a gotcha. hundred percent of them. You know what? And admire might not be the right word, but I respect the fact that he's so diligent in how he pursues and executes all these stereotypes on his person. Yeah. For him, it's not just imagery. I think he does believe it. Like, I think he legitimately likes it. Yeah. But man, let me tell you, if you could take architectural stereotypes, chop them up and boil them down and form them into a human being, it would be this guy. He has every <laughs> single one of them. That's funny. I now have a backpack and I'm not sure that I like it more than my old messenger bag. Other, it's just bigger and it doesn't wreck my back as much as just carrying 500 pounds on one shoulder gets me. So, and I mm -hmm. think that's why it works for you. Cause one, you don't use a laptop, you use an iPad Yeah, and you have this little zip bag thing that are all full of mesh bags and wires and all that kind of stuff. And your business is fairly neat and tidy. Yes. And I'm carrying around, I don't know why, why am I carrying around so much stuff? I, I don't know either, but I mean, I you, you always seem to carry around two laptops. I typically manage to go without a laptop at all. Granted, now during this stuff that's going on now, I've, I'm having to carry my laptop a little bit more. The COVID business. I've switched from my smaller, more compact Your messenger purse. purse. You, can, you can say it, purse. It's fine. To a bigger messenger bag that'll hold my 17-inch laptop. It is kind of a pain because it's so heavy to carry on one shoulder. And I hate it. I mean, that's why I didn't want to do it ever in the first place. Because I don't want to be lugging around that much crap all the time. Yeah. That's really what precipitated it. that business. Well, part of the reason I carry around two laptops is because church and state, I have a work laptop and then I have a life of an architect laptop. I know. I mean, I get that, but. You know, part of it's just the whole, like, I don't want to have to worry about what stuff I got to pull off my work laptop when, should that day come when I leave? Because if you think about it, I'm on my third job since I started life of an architect. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm sure there's several more switches in no, the future. Oh, come on now. And you send me positive <laughs> thoughts on that. That's positive of you doing it. You're going to do no, it. No, I'm not. You can't stay in one I place. I need it to be done. Hey, that's not true. <laughs> I've had two jobs in the last 19 years. I just started job three. That's not bad. Yeah, okay, that's true. That's, that's not true. crazy. Not like your first 15 years. Yes. There was a time when I changed jobs every year to 18 months. That's, that is true. That went on for a while. That is notably in my distant rearview mirror. However. Past. But that's why I keep two different laptops is so that Quite honestly, when I did start Life of an Architect, there was the, I didn't know if the company was going to say, this is our information. If you talk about our projects, we own it. Yeah. And yeah, so I was I really, really methodical about not working on their equipment, 
because I didn't want there to be any conversation of them saying, well, we don't want you doing that. And I can say, well, tough. You can't tell me what my hobbies are. <laughs> yeah. I'm not using anything that you give That's me. That's right. Do. I don't use your equipment. I don't use your Wi-Fi. I don't use your office yeah. time. I don't, I pay for everything I don't myself. Use your internet. I don't use your phone. Yes. I don't use any of it. And so that just sent up this process. And you know what? I'm actually yeah. really glad I did it. Cause when I did leave that first job, they're kind of like, all right, we got to talk about what you're taking down. And I go, I'm not taking anything down. I took all the photos. I wrote all the articles. It's on all my equipment. It's on my servers. You guys can all yep. jump in a lake in a very nice way. <laughs> and I, I mean, I handled it nicely. I wasn't a jerk about it. <laughs> you can jump in a lake with the float. Yes. <laughs> uh, you grab yeah. a pink floaty and jump in that lake. Jump in the lake. And they kind of looked at me and they said, okay, well, what about this stuff? We had a very civil conversation. I said, I'll take a couple sure. of these things down because I can appreciate why, because it looks like I did it, even though I did it, but I don't work there anymore. So I can appreciate that, yeah, yeah, I got but you. I'll tell you, I've just archived them. <laughs> they could <laughs> mysteriously show up at any time. Show up again. Yeah, yeah, That's right. Not, yeah. I wouldn't do that to them because I actually like all the people I used to work with. Yeah, I know. I can understand that. It just, to me, it's like, whoa. It too is. Much, it's too much. But... If I could find a way to carry less, I absolutely would go to a smaller bag. It's a pain. I don't yeah. love it. Actually, I guess for me, it's I have my iPad for stuff, but then my other computers are desktops. All of my portable stuff is iPad work. And then if it's not portable or any kind of mobile thing, then I'm sitting at a desktop because I want, I want more, at least when it started, I wanted more than what I could get out of a laptop as far as a work. More juice. And granted now it's a little bit different. Laptops are a lot yeah. better, but I still hate carrying around something that big. I just yeah. don't want to do it. And I want to work on a big laptop. You know, I don't want to work on a little diddly yeah. screen. Well, I mean, I've been looking at getting a new laptop and I don't even want 17 inches. I only want 15. I just don't want anything bigger than that because it's, yeah, it's just a lot of carry. So what do we decide? Do we decide that it's true? The stereotype is that architects use shoulder bags? Or are we going to say it's not true? It's not true. It's false. Not true. All right. That's a hard one for me because I still know some that do it. But Well, I mean, I know some that do it too. But I mean, your argument is like, oh, the backpack. Yeah, now I see a lot of backpacks. I see a lot of backpacks when I'm in elementary school. So we're No, doing okay. It. Look, all your <laughs> goofing off aside. What do your students use? Are they using messenger bags or are they using backpacks? Backpacks, probably. Yeah. But I mean, but they're still children. Right? So not legally. When I go to like TXA meetings or when we go to conventions, I rarely see backpacks. But at the same time, I think at a lot of times at conventions, I'm usually one of the few people that's actually carrying anything. Most of the people are not carrying, they're just rolling around with a notebook and yeah. a pen. But when I go to meetings and stuff, I still think it's rarely backpacks. But it's also probably rarely messenger bags. Yeah. So I think it's diverse enough that we can't say that it's a true answer. Another false. But I could say that maybe it does represent itself as a stereotype. I guess That's a good way to put it. The stereotype is right. not true, yeah. but it does show up a lot. Yeah. But we're walking both sides of the line. <laughs> we are. We're just walking back and forth. Okay. We're going to do one more and then we're going to get to what is clearly the best part of every Life of an Architect podcast. So let's do one more since we're in for it for a while. The title of this episode has now changed to maybe. <laughs> <laughs> could could be, possibly. Maybe, sometimes. Mm. <laughs> mm, it could be that. So here's the last stereotype we're going to tackle for today's episode. Let's do it. The stereotype is that architects must live in an, an awesome house, probably, but certainly a house that they designed. So is that a true stereotype? No. That's not true at all. No. For every hundred architects I know, maybe, maybe five had a significant impact on the aesthetics of their house. I'm not talking about like the furniture. Oh, I painted it. Like 
what I'm doing currently in my house. I didn't design it. That's not right. Yeah, that's just yeah, that's no. cosmetic stuff. I'm saying stuff you'd pick up at an architectural record or you know whatever it is, and they're like, check out this cool house that you go an architect did, or the type of houses that I would design for the people that hired me. Those sorts of houses for themselves for the doctors that work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say rarely do architects get to live in houses that they designed. Agreed. Yeah, totally. I think that's like I might be able to count on one hand out of the several hundred architects I know that live in a house that they actually designed. God, it's depressing. Yeah, but I think it goes back to that idea of maybe we can't afford to design the house that we would want to live in. (laughs) Possibly, I don't know. But I also think maybe like, I don't know that I would ever want to design my own house, but I wouldn't mind designing like a second home or a little cabin retreat, something, you know, that's a little bit less involved than my own house. Yeah, you know, I wonder how many architects, like that's the real fantasy. Not that they design their house, but they design a weekend house, a lake house, a cabin, you know, some kind of retreat that they go to that doesn't have to offer the same sensible solutions that a traditional house needs to have. So the idea doesn't have to fit to, yeah, that you could have just like one, yes, you could just have one big room that has all the main living stuff in it. And then you have little bedrooms that are kind of in their own wing somewhere else, you know, with a nice covered patio between the two, yeah, like a compound. Maybe that that's it. Yeah. I think that might be the thing. I know that's my fantasy, quite honestly. Oh yeah, me too. I just want to build some little 800 square foot thing out in the middle of nowhere so that it's just a tiny little retreat. You know, it's funny. Part of me was when we first started talking about this, you know, like two minutes ago, <laughs> what, what popped in my <laughs> like mind yeah. is I went, I have a client that lets me use her cabin probably whenever I want, if it's available. Mm-hmm. And I designed it. Yeah, so I just got back from a weekend there Yeah, because we were trying to figure out where we could go because we're all literally about to kill each other. Mm-hmm. And Texas has bad COVID numbers right now. So nobody wants us to come there unless we self-quarantine for 14 days. And I go, I got a weekend. What can I do? <laughs> yeah. And because the airlines are struggling to the extent that they are, they're cutting out the number of flights between A and B, wherever A and B for you is. And so getting seats is really starting to get become difficult. And we fly for free, but there's no standby anymore. Oh, really? Getting on the standby list is almost impossible. So like when we went to Seattle, we had to buy those tickets. When I went up to Wisconsin this last weekend, I had to buy those tickets. And part of it's because we brought our boarding student who lives with us this year with us. And so she can't fly standby. And the concern is that we buy her a ticket. She gets on and we're on standby and they're like, nope, you're bumped. (laughs) <laughs> and the door's closing and, and her face on, right? is pressed yeah. up to the window. <laughs> yeah. Or As like, it goes down okay, the runway, it works like, out for you. Maybe we'll be there on the next flight. Yeah. We'll I don't know what's going to happen. Airport. Obviously, we can't do that because we're custodians yeah. of this child for the next year. But as far as like designing sure. a house. Now, here's the caveat. That awesome house that they designed or just an awesome house? Because I would say the house before this one. I lived in an awesome house. The concrete floors and exposed wood beams and the plaster walls, like it had no drywall in it. Yeah. Every architect who walked in that house got it and loved yeah. it and thought it was great. I would say I think that may be a skill that we have is to be able to find those kinds of houses. I didn't design my house, but my house was designed by an architect. I was just lucky enough to find it. Okay. So what are we going to say? Stereotype that architects live in an awesome house oh, that they probably But they might live in an awesome house. That they didn't design. That they didn't design. <laughs> Again, walk in a line. 
We can go with a straight false. It's false. Yeah, we're going to say false, straight up. 99% of the time, that is a false state. Yes. I'm going to say that's our last stereotype question of this episode, and it's time to move on to the hypothetical, which last time, I don't think I told you what it was going to be, so we had a little fun with you going, what? <laughs> but now you know. Yeah, I know. You should just come up with a new one right now off the cuff, but you won't do that because no, no, no. you it's, don't I've have come up with all but like five of them that we've used with your death hypotheticals, and they're hard. We're going to have to put a call out to the people uh, to send us good hypotheticals. I've given you plenty. You just don't like yeah, them. Yeah, because they're bad. That's why. Yours are bad. <laughs> they're not bad. They are bad. They wouldn't be maybe positive, happy Okay, you know what? Wait, there's one. Here you go. I got one. I got one for you. This is yours. And well, no, we can stick with the other. Well, ones, I'll fine. tell you what it is, and you can edit it out, or you can leave all this oh, okay. chatter in, and we'll do it. Okay. Okay. So, if I were to take a hundred strangers at random off the street, how many of them do you think have a better life than you, and you would swap places with See, them? See, why is that? That's not bad. That's not. That's terrible. why I'm saying it. No, the reason why we didn't use it when you suggested it is because it was going to be on the leadership episode with my sister, the billionaire. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> and I asked her off air, I go, this was the hypothetical. She and goes, when I hmm. said, how many of a hundred would you change places with? In a half a second, she goes, none of Before them. Before you even finished the sentence, it was zero. Yes. Zero. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> right. So that one didn't work. So that one kind of got archived. Okay. So we can address that one now. Oh, no, right? we can do the other one. It's fine. No, no. Look, we're doing this one because I haven't thought about it. It'll be more organic since we already know what the silliness from the other question was. Who knows? Maybe it'll end up on the hypothetical episode. Okay, so rephrase it again. Let's do it. A hundred people at random are picked on the street. Mm -hmm. How many of them do you think have a better life than you do? And of those, how many would you actually trade places with? Look, there's got to be some rules to this one. I don't okay. think that it means that your wife's swapping, <laughs> like in my case, right? It's not that kind no. of thing. <laughs> no, I you know got what I mean? I wasn't even going to go there. For me, that's a really difficult question, to be quite honest, because there are aspects of my life that I'm really happy about and aspects of my life that I'm really unhappy about. Wouldn't that be true about everybody, though? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I think some people are probably pretty happy with their lives all the way around. Like my sister being well, one. Maybe, notable. yeah. I think even other people that aren't billionaires. For me, I would say out of 100, maybe 25 to 30, I would think, would have a a better really? life is that what it was that the thing right a better yeah. yeah yeah probably in the sense of my the way that i perceive my life that's kind of what it is right yeah i just realized how profoundly sad this question could turn <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know right <laughs> so i think at a max probably you know 30 percent. wow i feel like most of my existence is pretty good and it may be from the fact that i can imagine things being much worse for me <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that's that maybe where it comes from. So this is why this is kind of interesting. So like for me, I would go five, maybe five oh, really? people I would switch places with. It wouldn't be many. And it's not, not because places with that's the second. That was the second part of it. So if you say how many have a better life than you, I'd probably still keep it around oh, five. Okay. It'd probably be even less if I had to switch places like for sure. But how many have like by measurable standards have a better life than me? I think I got it pretty awesome. Mm. I'm not yeah. going to lie. So I eat red meat when <laughs> I want. I have cars that don't break down yeah. on me. I don't live in a refrigerator box. Yeah. 
My daughter goes to a good school. I take sweet couple holidays yeah. every year. I mean, I would agree. You know, I mean, if you check the boxes, yeah. there's not a lot of negatives, right. you know, that are on the surface. But you know what? It's all relative. Everybody, and that's the thing I'm trying to cycle out. If you think about the whole grass is greener thing, the things that are not great about my life, I don't generally make those public because really nobody cares. <laughs> Maybe they care, but they don't need to know. I don't need to burden them with my Yeah, that's troubles. the thing, right? You just, you don't want anybody to know in a sense. Don't want anybody to care about them, I would say. Yes, I don't want to burden people with, you know, because I have so many good yeah. things that it seems a little whiny, like I'm whinging on about, you know, something that yeah, could be better. one thing that's right. Like, and you want to just like, just shut up. You won the lottery compared yes. to 99% of the people that are on yeah. this planet, right? I can't help but go, I feel very grateful. I guess it depends on what neighborhood I'm walking in, <laughs> you know, the hundred, well, you know. I think that probably... My number of saying that maybe 30% of the people might have a better life than me doesn't mean I'd trade places with them. Yes. I'd still probably only trade places with maybe four or five, mainly because I, I feel like I might just be trading one, one sort of negative aspect of my life with another, right? Or something like that. Yes. And again, it's not all, this is not all like financially driven or anything like that. I mean, because for God's sakes, you take more vacations in a year than I do. Right? I mean, I get jealous of your ability to, take these vacations and go and do these things that I don't have an opportunity to do or make time for or whatever it is or want to do um, by myself. So it's that sure. kind of thing. There's that aspect to it that makes it a little bit different for me is when I start to say what's better or not. I think that percentage of me trading places with someone would still be really small. Yeah. Which I do need to say just because it's out there. So not last calendar year, but last year of the fiscal year, whatever it is. So I get five weeks vacation mm -hmm. a year. That's all like PTO, sick time, vacation, Stuff added all that. Together. Yeah. I get five weeks. I used four days last year <laughs> is how much I used. So the perception is that I go on holiday all the time when the reality is, is that I kind of don't. I tend to do weekend trips or do like a long weekend when we yeah. have a holiday or oh, like 4th of July, it's on a Saturday. So we get the Friday off before and one of the policies my company has is that there's two summertime holidays. You get the Friday and the Monday off. So you get these four day weekends. So I just had one of those. So I went up to Wisconsin, four day weekend kind of thing. In terms of vacations, I don't take as many as the optics on it would suggest, but yeah. I mean, I've been to China a few times. I think I've been in more countries than I have states. I'm very, very blessed in that regard. So in terms of like how many people have a better life than me, not too many, I would have to say. I'm lucky. Yeah. Very, very To lucky. me, your four-day weekends are still holidays or vacations. Or yeah. It's travel. Whether That's it's right. a week going somewhere or just, you know, the ability to go and do other things. Yeah. My ability to leave my house and go somewhere interesting for cultural enrichment is off yeah. the chain. It helps that my wife works at Southwest Airlines and I can fly for free. Yeah. It's not bad. And it also helps that like sometimes some of the stuff that you, I mean, there's a lot of that I know that you get to do. Um, you know, because of the blog and stuff. And I know a lot of that is also kind of a pain, right? I mean, because we still work. We've done some of that. Yeah, it's yeah. still kind of work. Yeah. It's some of its work, but then it's also still, you know, you get a chance to travel and, and stuff. And granted, I think traveling for work is, is not, not the same at all. Right. right? I mean, <laughs> definitely. Even if it is to someplace new, that doesn't mean you get to see it from inside your hotel room or inside the basement of the convention center yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Right. And that, that's sort of a different story as well. But, but I think as a general rule, 
my life is sort of in the middle, middle of the road for some of that stuff. Yeah. So I would assume that there are others that have more fulfilling things going on than I do. I don't travel as much as I would like to. That's one of the things. And some of that's financial, but some of that is other things that I've had locked down. A lot of it was from me having my own business and not feeling like I could do that without a lot of... Yeah, just pick up and take off. Yeah, issues. And then, you know, since I've, since I've been divorced, things are a little bit harder on that front as well. <laughs> if somebody has a partner in life, they're already one step ahead of me. Yeah. Right? I'm already giving them points in that regard. So, I mean, not that I... As we know, I'm okay with being alone, but... Yeah. It'd be nice to have some company every now and then. Yeah. I think that's, that's sort of where that understand. number comes from. Yeah, yeah. I get that. Well, hey, there's that guy in Germany who's invited us up to his Bavarian beer pad to I know. hang out. As soon as we can allow to travel out of the state and out of the country, both of those things, we you're can like, make that work. You're going to send the email, and by the time he opens it, you're going to be knocking at his door. <laughs> exactly. Hey, man, thanks for the thing. I'm sending this from the airport. I'll yes. be there short. <laughs> yeah, licking your lips, like just already anticipating the beer holiday that you're about to partake on. Exactly, exactly. I know. Man, let me tell you, going to Oktoberfest, I mean, I've already done it, and I still put it on my bucket list. <laughs> yeah. Like, I want to do it again. I know. You know what's funny is I have this app on my phone, like Tom Hop, and it gives me stuff that's happened this day, you know, how many mm -hmm. years back. I guess maybe a couple of weeks ago, or I got those pictures that showed up that you sent me from the tent and leave it. I was like, what? Oh, that's what that is. Why yeah. are these weird pictures? But it was you being over there sending me the photographs. Yeah, you would have loved it. You know, the truth is, I would take my gracious wife would also accommodate me on this, I have no doubt. You and I need to go to Oktoberfest. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. We are, what we need to do is we need to have a life of an architect, executive board meeting. <laughs> Corporate retreat. Corporate retreat yeah. in Munich at Oktoberfest. And then sometime late September. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm 100% about that because I think that would be, that would be a yeah, blast. you would have fun. Because I know I had a good yeah. time with a bunch of people I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so that was a pretty good hypothetical. Oh. And I think despite the fact that a lot of our stereotypes turned out to be false, I think there's still <laughs> some meat on the bones depending on who we're talking to. A about. lot of them turned out to be maybes. Yes, a lot of maybes in there. So I'm going to call today's show a wrap. Thank you for being with us today for episode 61, Architectural Stereotypes. We would also like to thank Sherwin-Williams for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast, as well as our media partners, Building Design and Construction. If you liked today's episode, please take the next 15 seconds and head over to your favorite podcast listening app and hit that subscribe button so you can get back in black new episodes automatically downloaded every two weeks. And while you're there, please consider leaving us a comment and I'd greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a five-star Architects Are the Best rating. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this glorious episode. And be sure to stick around until the very end, because if there are any bloopers, that's where you're going to find them. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers. Black clothing heavy rim glasses, and other worldly glue skills. Oh, I screwed that up every time. <laughs> yeah, you did it the other time, too. I know. God damn it. I'm not speaking well today. Or today. Like, that, like that's a new thing. We had a professor in college uh, who drank a lot of coffee. Like, he always had coffee in his hand. Always. 100% of the time. You would try to, like, work your way out of the studio. Because <laughs> if he came and started talking to you, 
he would breathe on you <laughs> and you it was it's so bad it was horrible it's yeah. like we literally were like we called him hot garbage because that's what his breath smelled like was hot garbage mm. they're like oh god here comes hot garbage <laughs> yeah like by himself he probably drank four to five pots of coffee a day like straight black coffee the coffee pot like it was a residential one right and it's just like a drip thing mm-hmm. and that carafe was always running and always full and he would just like i bet his breath up. was the worst yeah coffee <laughs> breath is terrible yeah it is bad but i, I think also part of that was because he used to be a smoker and so I think he just switched from like chain smoking cigarettes to chain drinking coffee, right? So there was just that. That guy that had absolutely for had bad breath. 